Dressed, the History of Fashion is a production of Dressed Media. With over 8 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the history of fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. Well, Dressed listeners, we are back. As you know, if you listen to our Tuesday episode, we are back after three month or so hiatus. You all have been asking where we've been. We explained it all to you on Tuesday. Um, but the most important thing to know is that we are back with all new content and an exciting rest of our season for all of you. Yes, yes, yes. And just a, a, a brief recap in case you didn't tune into Tuesday's episode. Um, actually, we have taken the podcast independent after five years of being with iHeartRadio. So that's how why we had to take a, a wee little break for a minute to, to handle that transfer handle all of those meetings with many lawyers <laughs> and, and lots of other kind of finicky business stuff. <laughs> yes. And then also just trying to figure out how to do everything ourselves moving forward. So, um, but we're back, we're figuring it out. We're excited to be here. And of course, Tuesday, we talked all about the Met Gala, a little bit of a belated coverage, but it is one of our most popular annual episodes. In April, I realized that I actually forgot one of my favorite highlights of the night that I wanted to just briefly mention here was Nicole Kidman's ensemble. Oh, yeah. Yes. We forgot to because talk she about was that. Wearing- Wearing, she was re-wearing a Lagerfeld-designed yes. piece that she had worn in a commercial in the past. Yes, yes. She was an absolute vision in that pale pink, befeathered, and bejeweled gown that she wore in the 2004 Baz Luhrmann-directed Chanel Number no. 5 fashion short, which today remains one of the most expensive fashion films of all time at 180 seconds, it cost a whopping $33 million. <laughs> but one of those wow. really cool, yeah, really expensive, um, really iconic moments. And she rewore that dress again on the red carpet. Of course, we talked about on Tuesday how those were kind of our favorite moments on that red carpet were the, you know, it was this great opportunity for vintage. So that was one of those, my favorite mm-hmm. archival looks. And I forgot to mention it. So here we are. What else fashion history now related do you have for us, April? Everybody's been talking about Beyonce's Renaissance tour costumes. Oh, yes. Lately. <laughs> um, it's been all over the fashion press, all over Instagram. Um, most of you have probably seen at least one of the veritable parade of fashion looks. Um, we have Courage that's been spotted on the stage, Alexander McQueen, Thierry uh, Mugler, our Mugler, Loewe, uh, uh, London-based Georgian-born designer David Coma, um, and I thought we could just maybe talk about a couple of these casts, and also yeah. two, at, at least two of them have very, very specific references back to fashion history. Um, so the Mugler piece that uh, Beyonce wears on stage is a cute um, interpretation of her being Queen Bay or Queen Bee, uh, because it is a Moogler recreation by the current creative director, Casey Cottawaller, 
of a style and kind of look that Thierry Mugler had done in the past. And so it's almost kind of like these robot-like bodysuits right. that are insect-influenced. Um, and so, of course, Beyonce's is a bee. Um, so <laughs> that is contemporary fashion from a historic house looking back into their archive, which I think is wonderful. Um, and then also the Loewe piece designed by uh, J.W. Anderson is a direct Scaparelli reference. And yes, if I you listen that. to the show regularly, you know she's my all-time favorite designer, which is great. So uh, what that particular look is, is it is a insanely uh, body-skimming uh, bodysuit that has crystals. It's sparkly. Um, it looks kind of sheer, um, but in strategic places, there are kind of like long black gloves that are that are like covering certain body parts. And that is a direct reference to a, a few different incarnations of using black gloves in clothing that Scaparelli did back in the 1930s and the 1940s. So um, yeah, I thought those she were... loved a good trompe glove. So with the black, like the black silk with the pink, I think pink fingernails and there's multiple, like you said, multiple Scaparelli glove references. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, and then two, we haven't even mentioned yet, if we're going to be talking about Beyonce and the Renaissance tour or the album, actually, uh, there was a collaboration that, that predated the tour that she had done with Balmain because Olivier Roosting is a huge Beyonce fan, loved the album, and went, while he was listening to it in the studio, he reached out to her and said, hey, what do you think about me doing my interpretation, a couture interpretation, of each of the 16 tracks on the album? Wow. Um, which they did, and it's pretty <laughs> spectacular. Uh, these are not, This is not streetwear friends this is high couture it's bold it's sculptural it's high drama um and if you want to check it out you can head over to the balmain website there's images of each look a little bit about each song or track and then there's this really insightful text written by olivier explaining his inspiration behind his interpretation of that song which is really fascinating and i wish a lot more designers would kind of put this information forward facing for all yeah. of us like he has so yeah and of course we out. all know on the show there's such a long standing relationship between between fashion and music right so we love to see those sorts of intersections and how those relationships play out and all these wonderful beautiful ways and of course just listeners you can find links to the articles we talk about today and the various things we talk about today in our show notes we love to provide that access so you can head on over and read the entire article or watch the video that we talk about. Or in the case of what I want to talk about next, the television series on Netflix. But April, first, I just want to ask you, why does Hollywood or film, TV pop culture at large just hate corsets? Like, <laughs> what role does it serve to constantly villainize them as these torture devices of women historically and when did that misinformation begin i mean i guess it's a rhetorical question i don't know i mean i think they like the fantasy element of it right <laughs> because all we've been doing lately is seeing them on the screen perhaps portrayed <laughs> incorrectly but there's been a lot of courses on screen lately yeah. and i think i know where this conversation is headed <laughs> yeah it's obviously a fetish for, it's not necessarily a garment we're all used to wearing today anymore right so it's kind of been 
historicized and immortalized in all these different ways um, that's kind of taken on a life of its own beyond the actual function of a corset as a staple of women's wear for 400 plus years. But I wasn't actually looking for an answer, but that's something we could dive into maybe and study like who first portrayed tight lacing in film. Um, but it's certainly a running trope today and certainly something that was on full view within like the first 10 minutes of the new Queen Charlotte Bridgerton story TV show, which have you been watching that April? I may have watched the entire season already. Of course I did. <laughs> and I know that you want to talk about corsets, but I just, before we even get into that, I want to talk about the wigs in this series, which yes. are second to none. Um, this is like the highest form of wig making art. I have never seen anything like some of these creations that are in Queen Charlotte. So the bravo to that team. I was going to say, you're talking specifically about Queen Charlotte, right? Because yes. her wig game, I mean, she's obviously a favorite character on the Bridgerton shows. This is kind of the runoff, right? Her story about her history, the story behind the really tragic love story of her and King George. And, you know, within the first five minutes, there's like this corset myth propaganda or whatnot. You also saw that in the Bridgerton series, within the first five minutes of the first season, there's a tight lacing scene, which is hilarious if you are you know, a fashion historian or lover of Regency fashion, because if you know anything about that era, you know that the waist began under the bust. And so it doesn't really emphasize the natural waist anyways. So corsets or stays from this period, right, were decidedly less boned. And yet here we are with this tight lacing scene where it's, you know, being construed as this torture device. And again, this happens in the Queen Charlotte Bridgerton series. Um, and which I will say is fantastic and the costumes and wigs and makeup, everything is, is wonderful. Um, and if you've ever wondered why Queen Charlotte remains in those wide panniered gowns in the Bridgerton Regency era, that you get your answer in this, in this series, because she's basically a queen frozen in time. And it's obviously a fictionalized account about her and King uh, George, because they were in fact real people, mm -hmm. but a fictionalized account just like the corset myths that are being propagated in the opening scene where she's on her way in her carriage with her brother to meet King George. She's been basically betrothed to him against her will and she's in this elaborate gown and she won't move because she doesn't want anything uh, to happen to her gown. And she just talks about basically how if she moves her whalebone corset made of quote, the bones of whales just might impale her and just to clarify, because this is something you hear a lot, as you know, April, whalebone is not actually the bone of whales. It was indeed the primary material used in the boning of women's corsets historically prior to the you know invention of steel and plastic, but it's not actually the bone of whale. It's not actually bone, it's baleen, which mm -hmm. are those kind of long plates, which are in a whale's mouth that essentially filter their food. Um, and the history of whalebone and corsetry is actually addressed in a wonderful article by fashion historian Sarah Bendal, uh, and it's entitled Whales Died So Women Could Look Like This, What Shows Like Bridgerton Get Wrong About Whalebone Corsetry. So I'll provide a link in our show notes if you want to learn more about that kind of fascinating history. But there you go. Definitely check out the Bridgerton show series, um, Queen Charlotte, but 
also follow up with this article by Sarah. <laughs> yes. And, and I will say uh, we were in Paris a couple of years ago and we were at the Museum of Natural History. They had, of course, they have, of course, or maybe they still do. They probably do. Um, a huge whale skeleton on display with all the baleen happening, hanging down. And you and I walked underneath it. And we're like, ah, corsets. All the corsets. Yes. <laughs> Yep. Yep. So long, long history there and definitely learn more about it. Because again, it's just one of those myths that you just hear all the time. And it's a misnomer, right? It's called whalebone. You would think it's being exact in what it's describing, but in fact, it's not. So, Well, speaking of things to watch, have you been watching season five of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? I have, and it's the last one, and I'm so sad to see it go. But of course, so many wonderful costumes and fashions on display yeah, this season. Yeah, over five years. Uh, this most recent season launched in mid-April while we were on hiatus. And one of the super fascinating things about this season is ma the majority of it takes place in the 1950s, as has the series more or less up until this point. But there are a ton of flash forwards and then a few flashbacks um, within this season. So we're flashing forward all the way into the 1990s at certain points. And why this is interesting is we get to a little sneak peek into the evolution of Midge's style or maybe her commitment to her style because definitely the silhouettes of some of the clothing that she's wearing, you know, change over time as you know fashionable silhouettes do change but she definitely remains committed to tailored suits um, to color um, kind of color blocking or, or tonal color palettes kind of like a graphic look um, but she still loves a strong silhouette so i think this is really interesting and a fun challenge for costume designers right to see like how midge's taste may or may not have changed as she um progresses through time. So um, yeah, check that out. I don't want to say too much more about it. I've already watched the entire season now. Definitely not going <laughs> to give you any spoilers, but uh, that that's what I will say is that we do get to see some fashions from different eras outside of the 1950s within the context of the Mrs. Maisel world. Yeah. And I mean, you talked about wigs in the context of Queen Charlotte. I want to talk about the hats in terms yes. of, of Mrs. Maisel, because the hat game on that show has always been insane. It's so, so cool. And I don't know much about where I'm, I'm maybe they have a millinery department within the costume department, or maybe they hire out um, certain milliners to create these fantastical creations, not just for Midge, but also her mother always have exquisite hats and so cool in so many shapes. I can tell you how some of these hats were made uh, because past dress guest Risa Britannia made some of them Oh, cool! Uh, for, for Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe not this most recent season, but past seasons, she was working um, not just doing the research to make sure that the hats were correct for the time period. Um, and also very oftentimes based on very specific hats by fashion designers, but she was also making some of them herself oh, for the so show. that's so cool. I did not so, know that. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Learn something new every day. Mm -hmm. What else you got? Um, have Well, I definitely want to talk about, I mean, I guess we're in 
the very end of May now, but I don't want to leave May without talking about two groundbreaking Vogue covers. Mm-hmm. First coming from Vogue Philippines, April, which is a cover that has now been seen and broadcast around the world. I mean, millions and millions, if not billions of views and likes and conversations around Vogue Philippines May edition, which also happened to now, it's historic because it featured the oldest cover model ever to be featured in the history of Vogue. Mm-hmm. And do you know how old she was, April? A hundred plus. Or is? 106. 106. I mean, it, it, listeners, if you have seen this cover, you remember because it will stop you in your tracks. Yeah, she is stunningly beautiful. It's a woman by the name of Apo Wong Ode. She was born in 1917. Just wow. we're all history lovers here. Just think of what she's seen in over a hundred years. I mean, it's incredible to think about, you know, just in terms of technology and then within the specific history of the Philippines. I mean, it's incredible, incredible. And she's still tattooing people. She's a tattoo artist. She lives in Buscala, which is a remote village, 12-hour drive from Manila. People travel far and wide, from far and wide, to be tattooed by Apawang Ode, who's been practicing the ancient craft of hand-tapping tattoos since she was a teenager. And according, (laughs) there's a fabulous article, there's multiple articles by Vogue Philippines, and then I'll link to them. Um, But there's one specifically by Audrey Carpio, who talks about, quote, according to lore and to interviews conducted by tattoo anthropologist Dr. Lars Kritak, Wang Ode was 16 when she began her career as a tattooist under her father's mentorship. The first and only female Mamba Batak, which is a traditional Kalinga tattooist of her time, Wang Ode would travel to far neighboring villages summoned by host communities to imprint the sacred symbols of their ancestors on individuals who have crossed or are about to cross a threshold in their lives. So lots of cultural, historic, spiritual meanings in these tattoos. Uh, Culturally, men and women were tattooed for different reasons. The article writes about how women were tattooed primarily for fertility and beautification. The tattooed eldered women of Kalinga often say that when they die, they can't take their beads and gold with them to the afterlife. They only have the markings on their body. And of course, Apo Wangod is beautifully tattooed herself. Mm on the cover of just just the stunning portrait on this cover and then various images within the fashion magazine itself. And the article also talks about how this is kind of was a dying art form, but you're seeing a resurgence of, of younger practitioners, a new generation, including her grandniece, are, really, are bringing this into the future. So just, I mean, we had actually, just a reminder, last season, we had Vogue Philippines editor-in-chief Bea Valdez and the fashion director Pam Quinones on the show because Vogue Philippines just launched last year, the latest international edition of Vogue, and already just groundbreaking on so many levels, with including with this stunning portrait uh, and an article, which, as you know, April, really challenges so many of these like long-held beliefs about who should be on the cover of fashion magazines, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And, you know, what is a fashionable ideal and who who embodies it? So just directly challenging that in this incredibly beautiful way. Yeah, and not just that one particular issue, but I would say since its launch, some of the most interesting fashion photography that I've seen in a really long time, they're definitely 
doing something new over there and you can feel it coming through in the photographs. So if you haven't gotten your hands on a copy, you can check it out online and, and see what they're doing over there. But, but good things, good things yes, in my book. Absolutely. And also just speaking briefly on women of a certain age gracing the covers of magazines. Have you seen Martha Stewart's Sports, Sports Illustrated swimsuit cover at 81 I years old? I haven't seen it, but I have heard of it. So apparently I need to get on that after we get done recording today and give it a Google. Yeah. Sports Illustrated has done some really remarkable things challenging kind of those societal, stayed societal ideals too, which is really cool to see. I mean, it just really takes commitment to change, right? And so Vogue Philippines has really set the standard really high for that publication moving forward and Sports Illustrated has as well. So just lots of cool things happening at different magazines. Cass, as you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone. With more than 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and so many more, that world out there is practically at the tip of your tongue. And that's right, dress listeners. For more than 30 years, Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning. There are no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which is incredible. You learn by immersion, and their programs are available to use on your desktop or as an app. And let's not forget that there is an amazing built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation, so you learn the proper accent from the very start. For a limited time, dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today. Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives, but what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries? because you can, by joining us in playing June's Journey. And April, I can't tell you how much fun I've had playing June's Journey. It's this <laughs> hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour and intrigue of the 1920s with this diverse cast of characters. And basically, each new scene takes you further into the story of a thrilling murder mystery that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. You will sleuth with June in the antique parlors of New York, the chic sidewalks of Paris, and you can even build your own luxury island estate where you get to decorate and plant decadent gardens. And there's also a chat and challenge feature where you can play alongside friends. So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Uh, well, I would like to talk about some questionable standards, if we may, for a moment. <laughs> Uh, on the part of Levi's, uh, if any of you happen to tune in, we did a couple Instagram lives while we were on hiatus just to kind of 
stay in touch with some of you or whoever wanted to join us on that platform. But um, this is something that I did touch on in one of those. And I, I want to bring it back because I do think that it's that it's interesting and pertinent in this moment when AI or artificial intelligence has been such a massive, massive topic. And Levi's a few months ago got themselves in a little bit of hot water. Essentially, they announced that they were going to start using AI generated models because, quote, it would be impossible for us to have models that cover every combination of race, ethnicity, age, body type, size, etc. Well, you can imagine how that went over, <laughs> right? Everyone was like, uh, how about you just hire models that fit those categories? Like, why are we creating computer generated models? That makes no yeah. sense. But yeah. it is Uproar. part of this bigger dialogue, right? <laughs> yes. That's happening about AI and, and what's going to happen and how it's going to shape shift certain industries. But I just want to say, even though that that got a lot of, you know, coverage in like Women's or Daily and stuff like that at that time, that this whole practice of fashion brands using AI or virtual influencers is nothing new. One of the biggest ones has been employed by Prada. Calvin Klein is currently the face of the fashion brand PacSun, and it is this virtual influencer slash model who is Brazilian-American. Her quote-unquote name is Michaela Sousa, and she was launched in 2016. She has 2.8 million followers on Instagram. Wow. So that was a good seven years ago, right? And so there's been a lot of discussion about this, and even metaverse executives are starting to weigh in. I found this quote from Becky Owen. She is the head of creator innovation and solutions at Meta. And she was speaking directly about virtual influencers and virtual models who are not real people, right? They're not based on anyone real. This is a entire fictional personality that is now receiving employment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and who, so, who gets that money? <laughs> They're well, creators. they're creators, yeah. obviously, right? So, um, and so she's speaking about virtual influencers. She said, if we look at their expression on Meta's platforms, we see that they are unique in how they connect with audiences. They blend the story and fantasy of fiction with engagement we typically see by human influencers. They even drive their own form of influence evidenced by the sentiment of their profile comments and the influx of a repeat brand partnerships. This mashup appears to be creating a new type of engagement model that we are only just beginning to unpick. But they're not real. Exactly. <laughs> Which brings me to this bigger, broader point or question that I would like to pose. So, you know, generally speaking, we have been in this quote unquote era, kind of DMP post post modern era lately. And there's been some chit chat um, around here and there about, are we about to enter the post-authentic era? So right. the realness of it doesn't matter anymore. So big questions, friends. Um, <laughs> we will see. We would like to hear from you guys how you feel about all of this. And yes, I'm sure we've absolutely. all been tricked at least once 
in, in, you know, the last few months or so. Cass and I fell for some AI sneakers a few months. We talked about it on the show. Yep. Um, I'm sure you all have your own stories. We're also seeing like these AI created mashups of fashion brands. Like there was uh, one that was going around recently where somebody used AI to create a Balenciaga Harry Potter commercial mashup. <laughs> I, yeah, and I think those sneakers that you just talked about, which were like our Rococo fantasy, they're so beautiful. They're like cake confection, cake topper yeah. shoes. They're so beautiful. Um, I think it was Balmain and Nike, right? Was the collaboration mm -hmm. there, the fantasy collab. Yeah. So yeah, it's really interesting, very controversial, a lot of ethics involved, especially when people are like white men are creating black uh, avatars, right? And making money mm -hmm. off of them. So yeah, this will not be the last time you hear us talking no. about this. I mean, we are really on the precipice of a revolution. Massive change. You have the people who created AI at Google, for instance, leaving and now speaking out against it because there's so much fear about what this actually looks like moving forward. And uh, in terms of, you know, the entire world. But of course, it has a lot of implications for fashion. Um, we've talked about it on the show in terms of the metaverse. What mm -hmm. are you going to be wearing in the metaverse, dress listeners? Mm -hmm. And it's not going to come cheap. I can tell you that. No. Um, so Gucci actually yeah. has established an entire department now, which is called Gucci Vault and Metaverse Ventures. And there is an entire CEO of just that division of the company. So this is not a small little kind of blip in history that's happening. There are major brands investing major money and major, you know, future planning initiatives into this being a retail space. So yep, absolutely. So more here to we come. go. <laughs> Buckle up. But that kind of transitions me to the last thing I want to talk about today, which is very much about celebrating the real world and real people. As you just talked about, we do not need AI to create a more diverse world. The answer is just opening your eyes to the diversity around you and hiring actual people, as you said, that reflect that diversity. And case in point of someone who is doing this correctly is Edward Enenful and his team at British Vogue, because their May issue was so flipping amazing. I don't know if you've seen it, April. It's actually not just one cover, there's five. Yes, so uh, we talked about this the other day and I hadn't seen it, but now I have. Oh, okay, yeah, it's amazing. And and first I just wanna say that British Vogue's editor-in-chief, Edward Enenful, and I know you agree with me, April, has set the bar so high for fashion magazines during mm -hmm. his tenure there. He's been there since 2018. He in and of himself is groundbreaking. He's the first ever black editor at British Vogue in 2018. And time and again, he has pushed the boundaries of this publication. He's brought it into the 21st century and into the future, right? And just set the standard, set the bar with visually arresting images and people and subject matter that directly challenge those limiting exclusionary fashion ideals that we always talk about on the show. And this issue is no exception. So for the issue, Inful's mission was to expand and reframe how the fashion industry defines fashion and who the industry props up as fashionable. So just to kind of start this conversation off, April, did you happen to watch Rihanna's Super Bowl performance this year? I 
I did not because I do not watch the Super Bowl. I have less than <laughs> zero interest in watching the Super Bowl. My negative is a negative number. That's how interested I, I am in watching. I the literally Super Bowl. just watched it for her performance. <laughs> <laughs> but she had this fantastic sign language interpreter, a woman by the name of Justina Miles, who really stole the show. She was like instantly famous after this. And she is actually one of the five cover stars of the May issue, which also included activists Sinead Burke, actress Selma Blair, models Ellie Goldstein, and Erin Rose Phillips. All were featured as part of British Vogue's Reframing Fashion Edition, which highlights and celebrates disability justice, accessibility, equity, and representation. And the five cover stars were profiled along 14 other disabled talents from the worlds of fashion, art, activism, and sports. And Innenfolk commented on the historic issue. There's so much content produced with this issue. Um, it's so exciting. There's so much more for you to read and learn about online and, of course, in the publication. He says, we always talk about diversity and inclusivity, but that also has to extend to our disabled brothers and sisters. And he actually has an invisible disability himself. He talks mm -hmm. about how he's had five retinal detachments. He's partially blind. His hearing's less than 50% and he wears hearing aids. And he writes in his kind of opening story that ultimately these covers and portfolio ask a question. We all engage with fashion, but does fashion engage with all of us? Dynamic, daring, and disabled reads our cover. Dynamism of spirit, of talent, of imagination is what the stars of this issue have in spades. It is this quality that the industry, and I here include Vogue, must also lean into if it is to better serve the disabled community alongside the disabled community with jobs in the design of retail spaces, of photography studios, of digital interfaces, events, communication, and of course, clothing. And he goes on to say that the time has come for us to get real about who we are as a society and for fashion to build a better, more accessible and an inclusive industry. We love what he's doing there. Yeah. And um, actually definitely reaching out to him to be on the show because he actually published a memoir recently. That would be um, amazing. But also reaching out to Sinead Burke, who actually was the consultant from start to finish on this project with her consultancy company, Tilting the Lens, which is an accessibility and equity consultancy. And quote, they ensure that the lived experience of disabled people and better practices and accessibility were at the heart of this edition. And Sinead found this company in 2020. She's also, as I think I mentioned, one of the May 2023 cover stars. And this is actually the second time, April, she's appeared on the cover of British Vogue. The first was in September 2019. And she actually made history for that cover as the first little person to grace the cover of any Vogue magazine in history. Yep. I remember when that came out. So again, when we say British Vogue is really pushing the envelope and taking us into these uncharted territories, this is what we're talking about. And they have promised this commitment moving forward. And another historic first for the magazine, April, this is so cool. The May 2023 edition is available in Braille and an audio version. Cool. So that makes the magazine more accessible to so many people, and they've committed to doing that moving forward. So again, other Vogue editions, sit up and listen, uh, pay attention. Um, this is really cool. We actually have had so many requests on the show for transcripts of our show, and that's definitely something we're hoping to incorporate in the near future to make our show more accessible uh, moving forward. So Yes, it was just not an option 
that we had at that time. <laughs> Previously. Yes. But now it is. Uh, and so we really hope to do that moving forward because we that is a request yes, we've yes, had yes. a lot. Um, and it's really important for all those reasons we've just mentioned here. So we've had it on our agenda for some time now to do a full-fledged episode on adaptive fashion from a design perspective with a, an, an adaptive designer. So uh, we should get on that sooner rather than later. Absolutely. And I definitely want to have Sinead on the show too, because that's a realm that she mm -hmm. works in. And I mean, she's so fashionable herself. Um, she's such a cool lady and I want to talk to her. So we're on it, trust listeners. Stay tuned. Yes. Okay, well, I have one last thing. I'm going to be a little bit brief about this. And that is, I just want to say that if anyone is coming to New York City this summer, you have not one, not two, but three fabulous fashion exhibitions to see. I'm sure many of you are already aware that the Met Gala happened the first Monday in May, which was May 1st this year. And the gala accompanied the exhibition Carl Lagerfeld, A Line of Beauty opening. That is open now through July 16th, 2023. I am not going to say anything more about this because we have already done an episode on it. So just know <laughs> we've already discussed the Lagerfeld exhibition in a separate episode so uh, just know that that is open until July but also too at the Museum of Art and Design Generation Paper which we have also already done an episode on with the original curator of that exhibition Ooh, Helen Jean yes. that is on view now through August 23rd and features 60 garments and accessories documenting the paper fashions Praise of the early 1960s. So tune back into that episode if you want to learn a little bit more about the paper fashion craze that was launched kind of by accident by Scott Paper Company in the early 1960s. And then the last one is actually an exhibition that is going to open the week that this episode airs, and that is at the museum at FIT, and that is Moda Oi Latin American and Latinx Fashion Design Today. That is going to run through the fall, actually, so you have quite a bit of time. That is going to run through November 12th of 2023, and just a little quote from the press release on this one. It says, this exhibition takes a decentering approach to fashion studies, shifting perspectives away from a single cultural viewpoint. The region, with its shared history of colonialism, globalism, imperialism, industrialization processes, and local modes of modernity has historically been dismissed by dominant Eurocentric fashion voices as underdeveloped. However, Latin American fashion is a powerhouse. So uh, that exhibition is going to feature work of Adolfo, Maria Corneo, Oscar de la Renta, Luis Estevez, Carlos Felci, Carolina Herrera, Isabel Toledo, and many, many more. So check that one out. How exciting. I want to go to New York this summer. It's not in the cards, but hint, hint, trust listeners, we will be together in the fall slash winter. So keep your ears open for more on that. Yes. The reason why we can't go this, uh, you won't be here this summer is because we're going to be in Paris. Yes, <laughs> we are going to be in Paris and we still have room on the second week of our Paris tour. So if you'd like to join us, I think it starts June 19th, April. 
June 19th through the 27th. The first week is already completely sold out, maybe even a little oversold out. Yeah. Um, and we are so excited to meet everybody that's going to be joining us in Paris this summer. But the second week does have a few slots left. If you're interested, we know this is a quick turnaround, but if you are interested, you can head over to likemindstravel.com to check out the itineraries and also to register your interest for a potential future trip to New York uh, later this year, probably late November, early December. Yes, absolutely. So can't wait. If you just want to reach out um, and say hello, you can do so at our brand new email address, hello at dressedhistory.com, link to our brand new website, dressedhistory.com. Of course, you can always direct message us on Instagram at dress underscore podcast. We are more active now on our Facebook page, which is dress podcast without the underscore. And of course, on both those pages, you will find images and reels that accompany each week's episode. If you have the time to rate and review us on your podcast listening platform of choice, we always appreciate your support. And don't worry, dress listeners, we are back. More dress coming your way next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.